Section 4 of Letters to a Friend by John Muir. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Paul Fleischman. Letters from 1869. Near Snellings, Merced County, California. February 24th, 1869. Your two California notes from San Francisco and San Mateo reached me last evening and I rejoice at the glad tidings they bring of your arrival in this magnificent land. I have thought of you hundreds of times in my seasons of deepest joy, amid the flower purple and gold of the plains, the fern fields and gorge and canyon, the sacred waters, tree columns, and the eternal, unnameable sublimities of the mountains. Of all my friends, you are the only one that understands my motives and enjoyments. Only a few weeks ago, a true and liberal-minded friend sent me a large sheetful of terrible blue-steel orthodoxy, calling me from clouds and flowers to the practical walks of politics and philanthropy. Mrs. Carr, thought I, never lectured thus. I am glad, indeed, that you are here to read for yourself these glorious lessons of sky and plain and mountain, which no mortal power can ever speak. I thought when in the Yosemite Valley last spring that the Lord had written things there that you would be allowed to read sometime. I have not made a single friend in California, and you may be sure I strode home last evening from the post office, feeling rich indeed. As soon as I hear of your finding a home, I shall begin a plan of visiting you. I have frequently seen favorable reports upon the silk culture in California, the climate of Los Angeles is said to be as well-tempered for the peculiar requirements of the business as any in the world. I think that you have brought your boys to the right field for planting. I doubt if in all the world man's comforts and necessities can be more easily and abundantly supplied than in California. I have often wished the doctor near me in my rambles among the rocks. Pure science is a most unmarketable commodity in California. Conspicuous, energetic, unmixed materialism rules supreme in all classes. Professor Whitney, as you are aware, was accused of heresy while conducting the state survey because in his reports he devoted some space to fossils and other equally dead and uncalifornian objects instead of columns of discovered and measured mines. I am engaged at present in the very important and patriarchal business of sheep. I am a gentle shepherd. The gray box in which I reside is distant about seven miles northwest from Hopeton, two miles north of Snellings. The Merced pours past me on the south from the Yosemite. Smooth domy hills and the tree fringe of the Tuolumne bound me on the north. The lordly Sierras join sky and plain on the east and the far coast mountains on the west. My mutton family of 1,800 range over about 10 square miles, and I have abundant opportunities for reading and botanizing. I shall be here for about two weeks. Then I shall be engaged in shearing sheep between the Tuolumne and Stanislaus, from the San Joaquin to the Sierra foothills, for about two months. I will be in California until next November, when I mean to start for South America. I received your Castleton letter and wrote you in November. I suppose you left Vermont before my letter had time to reach you. 
you must prepare for your Yosemite baptism in June. Here is a sweet little flower that I have just found among the rocks of the brook that waters Twenty Hill Hollow. Its anthers are curiously united in pairs and form stars upon its breast. The calyx seems to have been judged too plain and green to accompany the splendid corolla, and so is left behind among the leaves. I first met this plant among the Sierra Nevadas. There are five or six species. For beauty and simplicity, they might be allowed to dwell within sight of Calypso. There are about 20 plants in flower in the gardens of my daily walks. The first was born in January. I give them more attention than I give the dirty mongrel creatures of my flock that are about half made by God and half by man. I have not yet discovered the poetical part of a shepherd's duties. Spring will soon arrive to the plants of Madison, and surely they will miss you. In Yosemite you will find cassiopes and laurels and azaleas and luxuriant mosses and ferns, but I know that even these can never take the place of the long-loved ones of your Vermont hills. Forgive me this long writing. I know that you are in a fever of joy from the beauty pouring upon you. Nevertheless, you seem so near, I can hardly stop. My most cordial regards to the doctor. Californians do not deserve such as he. A lawyer by the name of Wigginton or Wiggleton, a graduate of Madison, resides in Snellings. I suppose you know him. I am your friend, John Muir. 920 Valencia Street, San Francisco, April 24, 1869. I enclose at last the name of the Big Orange Book. Either Paco and Company or Gregoire and Company will import it for Mr. Carr at the price he named, for less if intended for the library. I thought you would have been to make at least one of your small business-like calls to see me ere this, but I suppose the office and conventions and your farm leave you precious little time. Your days all go by in little beats and bits, while you move so fast you are nearly invisible. Had a moment's talk with the doctor. I'm glad he is looking so much like himself again. The summer is coming. Don't know how it will be spent. Did you hear the butlers the other day? Glassy leaves tilted at all angles. Cordially yours, John Muir. Seven miles north from Snellings, May 16, 1869. The thoughts of again meeting with you and with the mountains make me scarce able to hold my pen. If you can let me know by the 1st of June when you will leave Stockton, I will meet you in the very valley itself. When the grass of the plains is dead, most owners of sheep drive their flocks to the pastures green of the mountains, and as my soul is athirst for mountain things, I have engaged to take charge of a flock all summer between the headwaters of the Tuolumne and Yosemite, within a few hours' walk of the valley. For the next two weeks, I will be at Hopeton. Sometime in the first week of June, I will start from this place, Patrick Delaney's ranch, for the mountains. By the middle of June, or a little later, we will have our flock settled in the new home, and having made special arrangements for a two-weeks ramble with you, I will then be ready and free. Any time, say between the 20th of June and the 15th of July, will suit me. 
I intended to enjoy another baptism in the sanctuaries of Yosemite, whether with companions of like passions or alone. Surely then my cup will be full when blessed with such company. Last May I made the trip on horseback, going by Coulterville and returning by Mariposa. A passable carriage road reached about twelve miles beyond Coulterville. The rest of the distance to the valley was crossed only by a narrow trail. On the Mariposa route, a point is reached twelve or fourteen miles beyond Mariposa by carriages. The rest of the journey, about forty miles, must be made on horseback. Tourists are generally advised to go one way and return the other. That as much as possible may be seen. But I think that more is seen by going and returning by the same route, because all of the magnitudes of the mountains are so great that unless seen and submitted to a good long time, they are not seen or felt at all. I think that you had better take the Mariposa route, for the grandest grove of sequoias ever discovered is upon it, and it is much the best route in many respects. You can reach Mariposa direct from Stockton by stage. In Mariposa, you can procure saddle horses and all necessary supplies, provisions, cooking utensils, etc. Provisions can also be obtained at Clark's and in the valley. Clark's Hotel is midway between the valley and Mariposa. It would be far more pleasant to camp out, to alight like birds in beautiful groves of your own choosing, than to travel by rule and make forced marches to fix points of common resort and common confusion. You will require a light tent made of cotton sheeting, also a strong dress and strong pair of shoes for rock service. You will, of course, bring a good supply of paper for plants. I suppose, too, that you will all bring a supply of drawing material, but I hardly think that drawing will be done. People admitted to heaven would most likely wonder and adore for at least two weeks before sketching its scenery and I don't think that you will sketch Yosemite any sooner. Here is, I think, a fair estimate of the cost of the round trip from Stockton, allowing, say, ten days from time of departure from Mariposa till arrival at same point. Stage fare and way expenses to and from Mariposa, say, $40. Saddle horse, $20. Provisions, cooking utensils, etc., $15. Total, direct expense for one person, $75. Each additional day spent in the valley would cost about $3. If you and all the members of your company are good riders, and there are among you one or two men practical travelers, and you could purchase or hire horses at a reasonable rate in San Jose or Gilroy, you could cross the coast range via the Pacheco Pass or Livermore Valley, thence direct to the Yosemite across the Joaquin and up the Merced passing through Hopeton and Snellings. This kind of a trip would be less costly, and you would enjoy it. But unless your company was all composed of the same kind of material, it would not answer. I hope the doctor will come too. I want to see him and ask him a great many questions. There is a kind of hotel in the valley, but it is incomparably better to choose your own camp among the rocks and waterfalls. The time of highest water in the valley varies very much in different seasons. Last year it was highest about the end of June. I think perhaps the falls would be seen to as good advantage towards the end of June as at another time, and at any rate 
there will be a thousand times more of grandeur than any person can absorb. Here, then, in a word, is the plan which I propose, that you take the stage at Stockton for Mariposa. At Mariposa, you procure saddle horses and one pack animal for your tent, blankets, provisions, etc. A guide will be furnished by the keeper of the livery stable to take charge of the horses. And that I meet you in the valley, which I can do without difficulty, provided you send me word by the 1st of June what day you will set out from Stockton. Address to Hopeton. When you arrive in the valley, please register your name at Mr. Hutchings' hotel. I will do the same. If you should wish to reach me by letter, after I have started with the sheep to the mountains, you may perhaps do so by addressing to Coulterville. When you write, state whether you will visit the big trees on your way to the valley, or whether you will do so on your return. I bid you goodbye, thanking the Lord for the hope of seeing you, and for his goodness to you in turning your face towards his most holy mansion of the mountains. Hopeton, May twentieth, 1869 I forgot to state in my last concerning the Yosemite that I did not receive yours until many days after its arrival, as I was shearing sheep a considerable distance from here in the foothills, and the postmaster, knowing where I was, could not forward it. But I will remain here until the 1st of June, or possibly a few days later, and will receive any letters arriving from me at once, either in Snelling or Hopeton. The Grove of Sequoias is only six miles from the Yosemite Trail, about midway between Mariposa and the valley. The trail leading through the groves leaves the Yosemite Trail at Mr. Clark's, where you can obtain all necessary directions, etc. It is not many years since this grove was discovered. The Sequoias so often described and so well known throughout the world belong to the Calaveras Grove. The Mariposa Grove has a much larger number of trees than the Calaveras, and it is, in all the majesty and grandeur of nature, undisturbed. You will likely make the journey from Mariposa to the valley in two days. No member of your company need be afraid of this mountain ride, as you will be provided with sure-footed horses accustomed to the journey and an experienced guide. Most persons visiting the Sequoia Grove spend only a few hours in it, and depart without seeing a single tree, for the chiefest glories of these mountain kings are wholly invisible to hasty or careless observers. I hope you may be able to spend a good long time in worship amid the glorious columns of this mountain temple. I fancy they are aware of your coming and are waiting. I fondly hope that nothing will occur to prevent your coming. I will endeavor to reach the valley a day or so before you, the night air of the mountains is very cold. You will require plenty of warm blankets. I am sorry that the doctor has been so suddenly smothered up in business. If he and the priest were in the company, according to the prophecy, our joy would be full. I am in a perfect tingle with the memories of a year ago, and with anticipation glowing bright with all that I love. Farewell, John Muir. I received your letter containing The Song of Nature by Emerson and derived a great deal of pleasure from it. J.M. Five miles west of Yosemite, July 11th, 1869. I need not try to tell you how sorely I am pained by this bitter disappointment. 
your Mariposa note of June 22nd did not reach Black's until July 3rd, and I did not receive it until the 6th. I met a shepherd a few miles from here yesterday who told me that a letter from Yosemite for me was at Harding's Mills. I have not yet received it. No dependence can be placed upon the motions of letters in the mountains, and I feared this result on my not receiving anything definite concerning your time of leaving Stockton before I left the plains. I wish now that I had not been entangled with sheep at all, but that I had remained among post offices and joined your party at Snellings. Thus far, all of my deepest, purest enjoyments have been taken in solitude, and the fate seems hard that has hindered me from sharing Yosemite with you. We are camped this evening among a bundle of the Merced's crystal arteries, which have just gone far enough from their silent fountain to be full of lakelets and lilies, and the bleeding of our flock can neither confuse nor hush the thousand notes of their celestial song. The sun has set, and these glorious shafts of the spruce and pine shoot higher and higher as the darkness comes on. I must say good night while bonds of nature's sweetest influences are about me in these sacred mountain halls, and I know that every chord of your being has throbbed and tingled with the same mysterious powers when you were here. Farewell. I'm glad to know that you have been allowed to bathe your existence in God's glorious Sierra Nevadas, and sorry that I could not meet you. John Muir A few miles north of Yosemite, July 13, 1869. We are camped this afternoon upon the bank of the stream that falls into the valley opposite Hutchings Hotel, Yosemite Falls. We are perhaps three miles from the valley. This Yosemite stream is flowing rapidly here in a small flowery meadow, not meandering like a meadow stream, but going straight on with ripples and rapids. It derives its waters from a basin corresponding in every respect with its own sublimity and loneliness. July 17th, we are now camped in a splendid grove of spruce, only one mile from the Yosemite wall. The stream that goes spraying past us in the rocks reaches the valley by that canyon between the Yosemite Falls and the North Dome. I left my companions in charge of the sheep for the last three days and have had a most heavenly piece of life among the domes and falls and rocks of the north side and upper end of the valley. Yesterday, I found the stream that flows through Crystal Lake past the South Dome and followed it three miles among cascades and rapids to the dome. Were you at the top or bottom of the Upper Yosemite Falls? Were you at the top of the Nevada Falls? Were you in that Adiantum cave by the Vernal Falls? Have you had any view of the valley excepting from the Mariposa Trail? How long were you in Sequoia Grove? We will perhaps be here about two weeks. Then we will go to the Big Meadows, 12 miles towards the summit, where we will remain until we start for the plains sometime near the end of September. The kind of meeting you have had with Yosemite answers well enough for most people, but it will not do for you. When will you return to the mountains? I had a letter from Professor Butler a short time ago, saying that he would probably visit California this month in company with a man of war. Remember me to the doctor and to Allie and Ned. 
Please send me a letter by the middle of September to Snellings. I have no hope of hearing from you after we start for the Big Meadows. Two Miles Below LaGrange, October 3rd, 1869 My summer in the third heaven of the Sierras is past. I am again in the smooth, open world of plains. I received three of your eight notes, which for mountain correspondence is about as might be expected. I learned by a San Francisco newspaper that Dr. Carr had accepted a professorship in the university, and Professor Butler told me about a month ago that he had gone to Madison to fetch his cabinet, etc. Therefore, I know that you are making a fixed home and that you will yet see the mountains and the Joaquin Plains. We were camped within a mile or two of the Yosemite North Wall for three weeks. I used to go to the North Dome or Yosemite Falls most every day to sketch and listen to the waters. One day I went down into the valley by the canyon opposite Hutchings and found Professor Butler near the bridge between the Vernal and Nevada Falls. He was in company with General Alvord. He was in the valley only a few hours, his time being controlled by the general's military clock, and I am pretty sure that he saw just about nothing. I am glad that the world does not miss me and that all of my days with the Lord and his works are uncounted and unmeasured. I found the guide who was with you. He said that you wished me to gather some cones for you. I hope to see you soon in San Francisco and will fetch you specimens of those which grow higher than you have been. I am sorry that you were so short a time in the valley, but you will go again and remain a month or two. I would like to spend a winter there to see the storms. We spent most of the summer on the south fork of the Tuolumne, near Castle and Cathedral Peaks, and oh, how unspeakable the glories of these higher mountains. You have not yet caught a glimpse of the Sierra Nevadas. You must go to Mono by the Bloody Canyon Pass. I will not try to write the grandeur I have seen all summer, but I will copy you the notes of one day from my journal. September 2nd. Amount of cloudiness, 0 0.08. Sky red, evening and morning. Not usual crimson glow, but separate clouds colored and anchored in dense, massive mountain forms. One red bluffy cap is placed upon Castle Peak and its companion to the south, but the smooth cone tower of the castle is seen peering out over the top. Tiger Peak has a cloud cap also, of the grandest proportion and colors, and the extensive field of clustered towers and peaks and domes where is stored the treasures of snow belonging to the Merced and Tuolumne and Joaquin is embosomed in bossy clouds of white. The Grand Sierra Cathedral is overshadowed like Sinai. Never before beheld such divine mingling of cloud and mountain. Had a delightful walk upon the north wall, ascended by a deep, narrow passage cut in the granite. Its borders are splendidly decorated with ferns and blooming shrubs. The most delicate of plantlets in the gush and ardor of full bloom in places called desolate and gloomy, where the dwarfed and crumpled pines are felled with hail and rocks and wintry snows. But as frail flowers of humankind are protected by the hand of God, blooming joyfully 
through a long, beautiful life in places and times that are strewn with the wrecks of the powerful and the great. So in these far mountains, where are the treasures of snow and storms, live in safety and innocence these sweet, tender children of the plants. Had looked long and well for Cassiope, but in all my long excursions failed to find its dwelling places and began to fear that we would never meet, but had presentiment of finding it today. And as I passed the rock shelf after reaching the great gathered heaps of everlasting snow, something seemed to whisper, Cassiope, Cassiope. That name was driven in upon me, as Calvinists say, and looking around, behold the long-looked-for mountain child. Farewell. I do not care to write much, because you seem so near. I hope that you will all be very happy in your new home, and will not feel too sorely the separation from the loved places and people of Wisconsin. Remember me to the doctor and to all of your boys. I am most cordially your friend, John Muir. LaGrange, November 15, 1869 Dear friends, Mrs. and Dr. Carr, I thank you most heartily for the very kind invitation you send me. I could enjoy a blink of rest in your new home with a relish that only those can know who have suffered solitary banishment for so many years. But I must return to the mountains, to Yosemite. I am told that the winter storms there will not be easily borne, but I am bewitched, enchanted, and tomorrow I must start for the great temple to listen to the winter songs and sermons preached and sung only there. The plains here are green already, and the upper mountains have the pearly whiteness of their first snows. Farewell. I will bring you some cones in the spring. I hope that you enjoy your labor in your new sphere. My love to all your family, and I am yours most cordially, John Muir. Yosemite, December 6, 1869 I am feasting in the Lord's mountain house, and what pen may write my blessings? I am going to dwell here all winter, magnificently snowbound. Just think of the grandeur of the mountain winter in the Yosemite. Would that you could enjoy it also. I read your word in pencil upon the bridge below the Nevada, and I thank you for it most devoutly. No one or all the Lord's blessings can enable me to exist without a friend indeed. There is no snow in the valley. The ground is covered with the brown and yellow leaves of the oak and maple, and their crisping and rustling makes one think of the groves of Madison. I have been wandering about among the falls and rapids, studying the grand instruments of slopes and curves and echoing caves upon which those divine harmonies are played. Only a thin, flossy veil sways and bends over Yosemite now, and Pohono is a web of waving mist. New songs are sung, forming parts of the one grand anthem composed and written in the beginning. Most of the flowers are dead. Only a few are blooming in summer nooks on the north side rocks. You remember that delightful fernery by the ladders? Well, I discovered a garden meeting of adiantum far more delicate and luxuriant than those of the ladders. They are in a cover or coverlet between the upper and lower Yosemite Falls. 
They are the most delicate and graceful plant creatures I ever beheld, waving themselves in lines of the most refined of heaven's beauty to the music of the water. The motion of purple dulces in pools left by the tide on the seacoast of Scotland was the only memory that was stirred by these spiritual ferns. You speak of dying and going to the woods. I am dead and gone to heaven. An Indian comes to the valley once a month upon snowshoes. He brings the mail, and so I shall hope to hear from you. Address to Yosemite via Big Oak Flat, care of Mr. Hutchings. End of section 4